to seek answers to the questions that have crossed all of our minds. What happens to us when we die? Is there an afterlife? I'm a regular guy who discovered the gift of psychic mediumship in my 30s. My passion for history and the unknown have put me right here, right now. My mantra for anything paranormal is, we don't know much and anything is possible. Join me as we find our way through the stories, evidence, and experiences of the paranormal and beyond in search of answers, even if that leads to more questions. Are you with me? Welcome everybody to another episode of the Paranormal Pete Show. I'm your host, Pete Orbea. We're live here tonight on WLTKDB.com. That's Let's Talk Radio. Thanks to all the listeners out there who listen each week. Really appreciate it. And uh, all the commenters, appreciate the comments during the show and the questions. And uh, we're here at April 13th. Can you believe it? April 13th. And uh, shout out to my friend Brandon Brown. It's his birthday today on April 13th. So happy birthday, Brandon. Uh, welcome to the show and got a fun show planned for you tonight and got a special guest tonight, um, Teresa Carroll. She's a psychic medium and an author. She does all kinds of stuff with healing and she's also has degrees in counseling as well. So uh, she's a wealth of knowledge and uh, just so excited to have her on. So we'll bring her on shortly and got a commenter already on the Facebook live stream. That's our friend Boris out in Germany. Good morning. Top of the morning to you out there. Thanks for listening. Um, Hope you guys have been enjoying the shows and uh, you know, you can always uh, catch them if you missed one at WLTKDB.com. You can find the show archive there along with anywhere you like to get your podcast from, you can find past episodes. So if you haven't, uh, if you're interested, I hope you'll check them out. And uh, while you're there on WLTKDB, um, Let's Talk Radio's website, uh, check out all the other shows that are on there. Um, There's a lot of great shows, so be checking those out too. A lot of great different types of information. but uh, there's, it's just uh, fun to kind of go through and listen to random episodes. So definitely go there and uh, check it out. And I hope you guys, um, oh, looks like our guest is trying to get in here. Um, let's see. We're going to do a little technological shuffle here. So... I hope everybody's been enjoying some good weather, hopefully. Um, We're here in Little Port Gamble, and it's been real nice this week, finally. Um, We got a break from the rain just a little bit, and, uh, you know, just looking forward to some better weather. Um, Here in Port Gamble, so I live in one of the old houses, and mine's about... I think about 120 years old and I'm out in my shop right now. I may or may not have a sea otter underneath me under the floor. Um, We've had a mama sea otter trying to get in and uh, nest under our house in our garage. She must be getting ready to have some little baby otters. So 
I may or may not have a sea otter. If you see me jump, <laughs> it's probably because I heard something. Um, but, you know, never a dull moment here in Port Gambles. So they, I guess the otters come up from the beach and uh, they just like these these old houses. So ho- anyways, hope you're enjoying some some good weather this week, wherever you're at. Um, or if not, hopefully you're curling up and reading a good book. I just picked up uh, Lloyd Arbach's uh, ESP, Poltergeist, and Hauntings. I think I said that right. <laughs> a parapsychologist handbook. So I'm excited to dive into that. Um, it's kind of the the go-to for if you're a psychical researcher or you're doing stuff in a, a laboratory or um, it's, it's, I'm really excited to get into that book. Um, we've also got, uh, and a couple books we're going to talk about tonight from our special guest, Teresa Carroll. And so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. She's written a couple of, of books that are pretty informational and can be pretty helpful. Um, so again, if you're what <laughs> that is the book, Michael White comments. Oh, did I say it right? <laughs> um, no, we've got uh, Wendy from Mystic Moon Cafe Radio. She, hello, Wendy. Thanks for listening. Um, appreciate everybody following on the Facebook page. You can watch the live stream at uh, just go to Facebook and type in Let's Talk Radio and go to the page there. So I'm watching the comments on there. If anybody has any questions throughout the show, please put a question up on there and we'll do our best to answer it. And I think I might hear our special guest has come in. Teresa, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you great. Welcome to the show. Oh, wonderful. It's good to hear hear your voice. How's it all going? Uh, it's it's going better. <laughs> things are getting a little better. Um, things are going pretty good. Um so, yeah, it's, gosh, I haven't talked to you probably since the last Oregon Ghost Conference, the in-person one. I think it's probably the last time I've seen you in person. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been a while. It's like we're all closeted here for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> living, the, living the COVID life. Um, oh, I tell you. Sorry, I... I don't know what's going on with my internet, so I have to use my phone. Oh, well, it's, you know, technology for you. <laughs> I call them the internet gnomes. Uh, they I, I, they take over. I have gremlins. Oh, yeah, there you go. Perfect. Internet gremlins. That works for me. <laughs> so I'm excited to have you on the show tonight because for everybody listening out there or watching on the Facebook stream, uh, Teresa is a wealth of knowledge. Um, you know, I could, we don't say experts in the paranormal field, but you are a wealth of knowledge in so many different things. Um, so I'm kind of hoping we can touch on a bunch of different uh, topics tonight and kind of get your opinions and your thoughts on different things. And uh, but uh, I'm, I'm really excited to have you. So thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. I'm, right. I'm, I miss everybody. Let's get it all back together. I know. <laughs> I think uh, I'm getting my uh, my first shot this this weekend. So getting, getting closer. <laughs> getting closer. Yeah, I, it's 
I'm hoping and praying we can have an in-person uh, Port Gamble Ghost Conference this year, uh, November oh, yeah. 5th through 7th. So fingers crossed. Okay, I've got my fingers <laughs> crossed and I'm going to mark my calendar so I don't yeah. give it away by mistake. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, I'm already, go ahead. I'm already opening up for some book signing conferences. So um, I all of a sudden everything's opening up and I'm getting booked on the East Coast. That's exciting. Yeah, my book is taking off on the East Coast. So that's that's really exciting. Nice. And that's the how to spook yourself up? Yeah, that's the training manual of how to go about um, you know, an investigation and it it steps you through it actually down to the point of uh how to make an assessment, how to then decide on the cures, how to do the cures, and then how to report the phenomena for your client. That's great. And I like that that you you're teaching in there how to deal with different things, you know, and how to fix different things. So I think that's that's a neat component to it. Um, you know, if you go to um TeresaCarroll.com and that's T-E-R-E-S-A Carol.com, check out her website. Uh, you can see the books on there and check out all of her services, book appointments. Um, how has it been going with the pandemic? And are you just doing everything through Zoom like everybody else? <laughs> um, yes, no. I have just been so busy. It's kind of sad to say, but it's it's been a thriving business for me because people... People need reassurance. People need answers. Mm-hmm. People, people need hope. And so I've been very, very busy during this period of time. Isn't it funny how, you know, with everyone working from home and, and being stuck at, at home, it, doesn't it, everybody I talk to is, I'm so busy. Isn't it funny how that works out that when we all, you know, don't necessarily go to work and we're all kind of shut in for a while. We get busier. How does that happen? I know. It's like, I don't have time to do anything around the house anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I just keep getting busier and busier as well. So, well, I'm glad to hear that it's, it's just been going well for you through the whole thing. Um, I've got a large input of, investigations before I was averaging maybe one or two a month. Now I'm, I'm getting eight to 15 calls a month. Holy smokes. It's really (laughs) people are having, well, they're home. So they're seeing what's going on in their home. Yeah. That's, I was going to ask you if you had seen a shift in, in that sort of, you know, calls for investigations. And so it sounds like you have. Very Um, much. Yeah. And in, I, I kind of, I agree with you that people are home probably at times they're not nor they weren't normally at home. And so they're, you know, hearing things when, you know, they're usually gone at work and now they're at home. So they're experiencing things. Are you, um, I mean, what kind of activity is it like, a? are you noticing it's like visual stuff that people are reporting more audible stuff, you know, kind of what do they seem to be reporting more to you? touch being touched really yes and it it's and the interesting thing is it's uh, 
more with women and it's more uh, with people that normally uh, don't subscribe to any sort of metaphysics, that they're normally very a personality. Um, if it doesn't make sense, if they can't explain it, they'll look it up on the internet or they'll have their doctor or they'll have a scientist tell them. And now they're starting. What's, what's interesting with this is that they're starting to have um, an emotional reaction to it. It becomes where at first it's annoying. And then when people kind of poo poo them or can't prove anything, then it begins to be emotionally and psychologically wearing that, you know, I'm not crazy. I know I'm not crazy. Uh, what is this? And I don't believe in that kind of stuff. What is this? So <laughs> it's, it's interesting for me because I, I kind of think of myself as a bridge. Okay. I, I try not to be too woo-woo, you know. <laughs> I, I try to go in and, and just seem like a normal person and talk to people and try to just scope out. And um, what I'm discovering is that um, we may have something new going on, or at least something. I've done this for 37 years. and awesome. Yeah, it's amazing when I think about it. But I'm getting a whole new set of parameters, and I've been calling in other psychics. I've been putting together meetings with shamans to try to discover some of the new phenomena I'm seeing. And I think what we're seeing is that um, the veil between realities has shifted and new new phenomena is coming through. And I think it's just a matter of understanding it to know what to do about it. But I wonder if there are cycles or mm, kind of shifts, like things come into being and then they go out and then they come into being uh, like portals opening or shutting. I, I know it all sounds kind of woo-woo after I said I'm not very woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do, you know, you watch the sun and the stars and the moons and there's there the moon moves the tides. And so there are things that happen seasonally or happen periodically. Right. We see, you know, different, um, weather patterns that happen maybe every 35 years. We notice like with pandemics, they've been talking about every 100 years, 125 years, there's a pandemic. And so when you think about the seasons and cycles of life, it would make sense that maybe there are times that the interaction between realities gets a little thin and we start having more phenomena bleed through. And so then you come back to legends and superstitions and all that. And you don't want to, you don't want to spook somebody up. You don't want to, Oh, title of my book, right? Um, you don't <laughs> spook up, but you definitely uh, want to address the issue. And I, I have to say some of the things I've been experiencing, the old cures don't work on. And so um, in fact, I have a shamanic meeting with four very well-known shamans this coming Sunday, and we're going to do some spiritual work to see if we can discover what is happening. And so far, what we've decided is that, um, you know, the old legends, you know, like the unicorn or the dragon or the trolls, yeah. that these come in from other realities, that every once in a while there's a way for them to pass through to our reality 
and then go back to the other side. And that for some reason, whether it's because the Wi-Fi is so intense and it's going through our different membranes and going into other dimensions or what. Right. But I think the best way I can describe this is, is I've always understood the concept as as above, so below, as below, so above. It's kind of a hermetic philosophy. And if we're really connected, we can look in a microscope and basically see the whole solar system, or we can look at the solar system and then see it in a microscope. We can see the same phenomenon taking place. And so anything that we do know gives us a template to understand other things. And when we look at the human body, we have a multitude of systems. We have the mm-hmm. skeletal system, we have the cardiovascular system, the endocrine, and it's 12 to 14 systems depending on how they choose to break it down. Well, I believe that the reality that we live in is a multiverse. And if you look at scientific data, you'll find that they actually, last time I looked at it, there were 11 known distinct dimensions that they had felt like they had scientifically proved. So if you think of it as a complete body, our reality being a complete body with systems, then the reality that we live in is like the cardiovascular system. And so it's connected and feeds to all others and that systems will move through it, like how our um, pulmonary system puts oxygen into the blood and then the blood Mm -hmm. distributes that. Um, Of course, the endocrine, the digestion, elimination, and so on. And so if you look at it that way, it makes sense. It, it, And you begin to see that the nervous system that knows all things is what we term the spiritual system. And so what I think is happening is that something is causing an extra bleed through from a system that we haven't seen a lot of for a long time, or that the way that it works may be the reverse that, you know, how the blood goes into it, but it might not put things normally back out. And now something that normally wouldn't distribute out of that system is coming into our system. And so however we label it, however our belief system or our our way of looking at it, there is something that is affecting a lot of people right now and it seems to be from another level of reality or another system. And I'm getting a lot of calls with that. And people are not dealing with it well. They're very, they're very nervous about it because these are what I would call straight-laced people that they may not have a belief system or their belief system is that, you know, that's all puff and stuff. What's real is scientific. And now all of a sudden... They're having something literally touch them, hold them back, do things. Now, I have not heard of anyone who's actually been harmed. I want to make that real clear. That's good. Nobody's been (laughs) thrown downstairs or have fire (laughs) jumping out of the fireplace or any of the melodramatics we see on television. But um, they're consistent. I'm getting calls from Chicago, New York, Atlanta. I got one from Dubai the other day, Canada. 
and then of course Seattle, Portland. Um, I think I said New York City, but I've, I'm working with a lot of these that people, they don't know who to turn to. Yeah. And I kind of looked a little on the internet. I normally don't get my information there. I get my information from experience, but sometimes yeah. somebody gets an idea and then they kind of run with it. And then it, people think they're having the same thing. So I was kind of looking to see if there was some new sort of scuttlebutt where everybody was jumping on the bandwagon thinking they were yeah. part of it. And I haven't seen it. I haven't Interesting. Seen it. Interesting. Well, let's keep going on that. We're going to take a station break. It's 21 after uh, here on the Paranormal Pete Show. And so we're going to pay some bills and run a little station break here. And uh, with special guest Teresa Carroll tonight and talking about some really cool stuff. I can't wait to get more into this. So we'll see you on the flip side here on Let's Talk Radio. I'm your host, Peter Bay on the Paranormal Beat Show. Thanks for listening. WLTK DB Let's Talk Hurry hurry step right up Come marvel at tales of weird history that prove fiction has nothing on reality Thrill at stories of strange science from the utterly mind bending to the horribly misguided Chill from true tales of the unexplained paranormal and supernatural all this plus comedy romance and variety it's colossal it's stupendous it's your new favorite podcast a delicious mysterious tincture called odd tonic join us in the parlor each week dear guest for a cup of tea and a bizarre enthralling tale to delight the mind and stir the senses odd tonic an exquisite elixir for those who love the odd? Or a tantalizing treat for those who are the odd? Yes. Odd Tonic is available on your favorite podcast app, YouTube, and at oddtonicsociety.com. Well, they say- Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in on Let's Talk Radio, WLTKDB.com. And for following on Facebook as well, I'm your host, Peter Bay. We're here with special guest, Teresa Carroll. And I think we're going to be talking about some really cool stuff tonight. Teresa, you don't have to worry about being too woo-woo on here. (laughs) You can be as woo-woo as you want. (laughs) So, (laughs) Before the break, you were touching on some pretty interesting concepts. Um, as above as as, same as below as below as above and as you were talking about that i mean it was just kind of clicking for me i hadn't thought about it it that way and your your analogy of looking in the microscope you can see the whole solar system and from the whole solar system you you can see it you know i don't it's, it's just a really interesting concept now you mentioned that now that's from your work with um, some shamans and that's kind of where um, you've been able to tap into some things or, you know, how'd that work? Well, I think my greatest love, I've, I've been a professional psychic for since 1985, <laughs> April Fool's Day. And so it's been, <laughs> I guess it's 30 
six years this year, but I've I've studied metaphysics about three years longer than that. And I did ghost. We called it ghost busting back in the old days. Um, for, <laughs> I was part of a, a group that actually started it out of the old Psychic Energy Center in Tacoma, Washington, for any people who knew Ruth Soderstrom. She was featured in some okay. of new, um, Ruth Montgomery's writings. And so I started there was where I kind of got my, my background and my training. So, um, yeah, I've been doing it a long time. And of all the things I've done, this has been my career. It's, I mean, I don't have a day job. This is my day job for 36 years now. And so I've explored classes. I've explored all sorts of things. But of the things that I've enjoyed the most has been shamanism. And I've gone to 30 countries now. And in every country, I make it a connection with spiritual people, whether they're shamans, healers, um, gurus, you know, hunas, people that have spiritual power. And I go, just to be present and to learn, not to show what I can do, but just to be present. And so I have learned some incredible things from um, indigenous people in over 30 countries. Wow. And so... Um, the things that I've experienced, I don't, I've not met anyone else who I've ever had a conversation with who has had a lot of the experiences I've had. Um, I put myself in some, some pretty, um, difficult situations. It's like, how many will volunteer to be buried alive? Uh, certainly not me. (laughs) Well, I did that in Chile for three days and it was a form of vision quest. So um, I've, I've seen things I've been invited into different things. So when I, when I come up against something, because I know how to astro travel, I know how to make spiritual connections. Mm -hmm. um, If I come up against something I've never seen before, then I get, um, I get challenged. I'm a natural adventurer, and I have a lot of investigative. I wish I was more um, scientific about it, but I'm not. I, sure. um, But I do take time to comprehend it and to really study it. And I feel like I can, I can get a handle on it, and then I can share it. And then once I can start talking about it, I'm amazed and, and really – fascinated how many other people have similar experiences and then they can kind of give me a a rounder picture because it's like okay i've got this piece and now uh you you, uh, rocky or neil mcneil or somebody starts filling in the little blanks and it's like ah so i love to learn and i love to you know develop this up because it's not like a science where People have a common language and a common perception. One person's calling a ghost, a spirit, and the other person is calling uh, an apparition or just a, a normal phenomena a ghost when it's not. And so there's not a common language. And right. I've been doing, I've been trying with my books 
to create a common language. I don't care if somebody takes it away from me and says, wrong, we're going to do it this way. I'd like us to all start having a common language where when we're talking about something, there's not uh, a sense of you're seeing this when I'm meaning that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And who knows if someday uh, traditional science um, will be able to measure a spirit or quantify or be able to, you know, from traditional scientific methods, be able to prove ghosts or spirits or whatever you want to call it. So, and, you know, I think it's awesome that you're just continually pursuing knowledge uh, and, and going after it because, you know, and congratulations on your career. That's, I think that's a, amazing so you know after after all that time um that you still just have this passion um for learning more and i'm I'm curious if you could did your vision quest when you got buried alive did it work (laughs) um well i think you know me well enough pete that you know that i have a deep inner calm when I was younger, I was an A personality, and it was like question, question, run, move, push, and just you know, like I was totally A personality. And I feel somewhere in all my spiritual work, something shifted, and I just come from this place of inner calm where I'm just at peace, and I see things kind of in a harmony or in a a complete sense. And I think um, that period of time, probably about a 10 year period, I was on, uh, I was working a lot with Native American people. I was uh, doing quite a bit of training of drug and alcohol counseling in different Native American communities. And I was doing the spiritual, um, you know, I was coming in doing talking circles and spiritual work and assisting people in becoming drug and alcohol counselors, but I was using my spirituality to help them connect and to really connect with people and really understand why somebody would become addicted and how to use their their spirituality. And in the Native communities, there's very high spirituality. How to use that? as an anchor to pull them out of their addiction. So I worked with some really incredible um, drug and alcohol trainers and professionals. And I did a lot of medicine work during that time. And that's when I kind of got into the shamanic direction of going. And as I got into shamanism and and as I began to sun dance and as I began to do sweat lodges and medicine work and work with uh, indigenous people. Then I was invited to different different countries and different places where ceremonies, things to heal the the planet, um, ceremonies to heal the children, to bring hope to humanity. And I started moving around the world in that. And I started going through vision quests and trainings. And with that, there was this kind of hooking into a place in myself I didn't really know existed where I found a connection with nature 
and then with people, and then with the divine or God, as we would refer to that essence. Mm-hmm. And then, then something even more that, um, and what's more than God, but an expanded level than what I can comprehend, let's put it that way. And, and then inner peace came, and then after a while, all of these different things were just um, to reinforce that if not out of discipline, not out of doing, but of practicing presence, that I could move into a different place of being and really perceive life from a different viewpoint. And so life became magical. It became playful. Oh, that's that's really cool. Um, now, you just mentioned having presence. Um, and that's something I've talked about often on the show. Do you think, is that something that you've noticed across all of the different countries you've been to and all the different people that you've met and shared experiences? Do you think that having presence, being in the now, do you, is that kind of a common, is that one thing that you could say would be common between all of those different cultures, belief systems, you know, is it, is that the thread? I think it's one of many threads. Okay. I think, um, I think that being in the now is so very essential to really being alive. And that aliveness factor comes not in from doing or thinking, but just practicing the presence. And I do find that when I'm in the presence of people that are truly spiritual, they are fully present. There is a sense of not what they're doing, not what they look like, not what they know, but that they're here and in the in the here and now, they connect. And it's a multiplicity of connections. It's not just, oh, I connect with the idea or I connect with what to do, but it's almost like they become this conduit that unifies, bridges, and helps everybody and everything harmonize so that everything becomes serendipitous. Right. So, go ahead. It's magical. magical. I mean, um, do I believe in magic? I don't believe um, in sleight of hand, but I see energy flows. And I think there's a lot of people that do. And I can see sometimes that if you, if you go in it this way, you're going to cause trauma and drama. If you go in this way, you flow with it and it'll open and it'll extend. Um, The human experience is we get caught up in our ideas and what we think and how it should be. And we forget just to be present and see how it's moving and what would harmonize. And most of all, we lack the clarity of what do we really want. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I wonder what that percentage is of uh, if you would ask anybody, are you getting what you want in life? You know, what is it that you want? I wonder how many people could really truly answer that. And that's probably a very small number. <laughs> well, I find it interesting um, when I ask people what will make them happy. They all default to the same old world peace. Um, you know, they would like family, a sense of financial security, 
and a sense of some sort of involvement, we would call occupation, employment, that they feel like it makes a difference or is fulfilling. Right. And yet, when you, when you really sit down with people, um, it's ironic, the, the dichotomy of that. Most people have what they want, but they don't enjoy it. And most mm-hmm. people don't enjoy it because they're too busy trying to get more of it or to secure it. And so it's right. kind of like I did um, a series of classes for probably about 15, 20 years called When Am I Going to Be Happy? It was based on a book by Penelope Rushnoff, PhD, of you know looking at our own behaviors and how we create our reality. And it was basically kind of a counseling series. And what I found was everybody already had what they wanted. They just kept sabotaging themselves almost because they didn't believe it could be that easy. They felt like they had to work for it or they had to deserve it or um, they should be doing something else. It was like all these self-imposed limitations. And so just being able to say, hey, this is who I am. And now these are my behaviors. And how do I get beyond my behaviors and just be me? Because when we're, when we're aligned with who we are, when we're present, we really would like to be our own best friend. I mean, when you think about the person you are, it's kind of like, gee, I wish I had a friend like that, you know? <laughs> yes. And so we have to get out of our way and just start being more present. I imagine it's really eye-opening when you can identify behaviors and separate that from who you are. I mean, if you just, when people, have you seen people kind of have that realization where they can kind of, you know, separate, you know, this is who I am. This is my, this is my ego, you know, whatever. And these are my behaviors. Is that kind of a, I mean, that sounds like it's a good step in kind of your own personal enlightenment, right? Exactly. And I just had a a client this morning who had that that moment of self-realization and the realization that all she had to do was look at things different and she was in charge of looking at things differently. Um, Nobody was going to tell her how, but she could go out and maybe gather some information or have dialogues with people and look at it from a different viewpoint and rethink it. And she was just so delighted. She, She couldn't believe that all her life she's been trying to do things right. And now she realized that she was doing things right. She just had to do things a little bit more lighthearted so that she could enjoy her life and not keep creating more sense of obstacles by her own self, self thinking limitations, you know? So, yeah, Um, I do have a degree in psychology. I don't know if you know that. I do know that. (laughs) So I, it's interesting. Um, I was a psychic when I went to college and uh, part of that was because, and you probably hear this story from so many people, I was a reluctant psychic. I didn't want to be psychic. I wanted to be an average person. Right. 
now normal people scare me. You've seen the button. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, but yep. Um, basically, you know, I wanted, I wanted to be a normal person. I wanted to be able to help people, but the psychic stuff was nothing that I wanted to be into. And it, it had been kind of pushed upon me and I was trying to find a different venue. And uh, what I found was when I sat with people as a psychologist that were court ordered or were in on drug and alcohol, they didn't want to be there. They didn't want to help themselves. They just wanted to play victims. So you'll notice my, my logo is helping people help themselves um, through intuitive insight. I found that unless somebody wanted to help themselves, everything I did was just putting out energy and often receiving abuse for it. And I could see that, that whole um, exchange of energy of here, I have a way that can assist you. No, I don't want it. Just get me out of here, sign me off so I can go back out to my drugs, my alcohol, my abusive mm-hmm. behaviors. And I, what I became aware of is that I couldn't really function in a normal environment. I needed to be with people who were ready to help themselves and who were willing to look at the spiritual co- component of their lives. And so that's when I really realized that my career was going to be a professional psychic and that I was going to be the best one I could possibly be. That's awesome. And I imagine, um, I mean, in the eighties, um, you know, starting 1985, um, you know, was it really hard to make that decision and, and move forward with it? Just, I mean, just from, the public view of that kind of work at that time was it was it a pretty hard decision or were you just like i'm going for it who cares <laughs> um it was a very difficult thing um my family totally disowned me <sighs> i lost my children over it because of a lot of superstition and fear they everybody thought that i had drank the kool-aid and that it was part of some terrible thing And so uh, it's like I lost everything I thought I valued. I lost my my marriage. Uh, My husband and my mother decided I had a mental health issue and tried to have me committed. Um, I ended up agreeing that my husband could have custody, joint custody of our children, but anyone who's ever gone through the court system, the way it looks on paper and the way it ends up actuality never is the same. So I went through the, the great loss of thinking I was doing the right thing and then losing everything and really feeling like I'd been betrayed. My, my family stopped talking to me for almost 20, 20 years. Most of them. Now everybody loves me, thinks I'm great. But it took, it took a long time for them to get through superstition and fear or uh, beliefs. And I, I, I contributed to that because I didn't know what was happening. So I was telling people what was happening. And, and like I said, my, my first husband and my um, mother tried to have me committed. Wow. That is, I can't imagine going through that and th- the fact that you stuck it out 
and that you you realized what you needed to do and that you know that you stuck all that out that's i i applaud you that's that's i'm sorry you had to go through all that that's a lot <laughs> well the thing that i have learned is that i have been able to be there for my children even though i wasn't a traditional mom now nobody <laughs> i mean I can't say nobody, but most people don't get it. They don't see how I could manage that. And I'll tell you, it was, it was soul-rending. It was really hurtful. But I made a commitment that I didn't want to be a bitter person. I wanted to be a person that could help other people. And what everything I experienced did gave me an incredible amount of compassion when I see somebody and other people are thinking, suck it up or don't play the victim, I'm, I'm saying to myself, wow, how that hurts that person and how can I be in it with them and then show them that there's a way out of it. Right. Showing them the, yeah, exactly. Giving them the tools so they can get their own, get out on their own. That's, that's really good. And to me, you know, uh, psychics, mediums, healers, and, and people um, that I trust are the ones that, you know, that do just that, that they're, you know, they're not just doing a reading for somebody just to do a reading, but, you know, in giving them tools to help themselves. And I think that's a big part of, part of the work. So I, I think it's great that that's just kind of been your, your thing. Um, you know, do you find that, um, in taking care of people in that way and maybe their own self-enlightenment that that kind of, um, does that just kind of help you in your work just by, you know, reaffirming or validating what you're doing, you know, uh, kind of, how does that work for you? Well, the interesting thing is, is I don't always get a lot of feedback, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have people, the first, oh, probably 20 years of my practice, I tried so hard to empower people that I would not let them become dependent. So I didn't, I would counsel them, but I would give them skills to go away with and trust that they could be gone three or three months, a year, five years and deal with it. And so I didn't get a lot of feedback, okay. but now I'm getting incredible feedback. People will tell me how much I changed their life, how much I gave them hope, how much I gave resources. Um, and so for a long time, I didn't get hardly any validation because people would either think that I was so psychic, I knew everything, and I knew that 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 it did it, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, I think the thing that was so remarkable and so amazing to me, because um, I'm a pretty allowing person, and if somebody tells me something, probably I'll give it a try. If it makes sense, it's reasonable, and it's not going to harm myself or someone else. Right. And so, but I see so many people that will argue or be in resistance or not even give consideration. What I found was remarkable was people would come back and say, you told me to do this, I did it, and it made all the difference. Right on. And I think the thing that's rewarding is that um, I've got over a 1,000 clients now that I've had over 35 years. 
And most of them have have the same abilities uh, I do or more. And, <laughs> and they'll come back and they'll say, you got me started on this path. You helped me believe in myself. And now I'm the person I choose to be. And whenever I get a little lost or I just need somebody to have my back, you're the one I turn to. And, and that's my reward of knowing I have helped people. And I think the biggest reward is I've helped myself because of what right. I've lived through. And I've got a long story. Who doesn't, right? right. <laughs> but with what I've lived through, I'm a happy person. And where I'm not normal, I have an <laughs> extraordinary life. And, and I'm really pretty well balanced. And I've got this incredible inner peace and an awareness that I'm there for people if they need me. Yeah, I've never seen you without a smile on your face. So, (laughs) always smiling. Um, So, well, I want to kind of talk a little bit about, um, you know, in all the work you've done over the years and kind of how I'm just, I'm curious to know how you were receiving information when you kind of first started out with it. Was it, you know, really organic earth-based you know is that where you were getting psychic information from and then if you could talk a little bit about how how you got stuff you know early on and then kind of you know i know it's metamorphosized it always does and changing you know kind of talk a little bit how it's changed over time because i'm curious to know like you know what you're um what you're connecting into when you do your work Ah. Well, I think it's important for you to realize that when I started this, I was a born-again Christian, and I was very disciplined and very a personality. And, you know, every Sunday I was in church, I taught vacation Bible school, and I Mm -hmm. uh, taught Sunday school for the fourth grade level. And so I had this really... Um, really strong idea of what I should do religiously. And I was very devout with it, you know, read the Bible, pray, you know, go to church, do all these things. And, um, it seems that many of us um, that, that develop or, or come into our spiritual gifts happens in a, in a trauma situation. Well, I found out I had terminal cancer. And I had a a baby that was less than nine months old and another beautiful little girl. And I didn't want to die. But I got very angry at God. And that was in my belief system, the taboo. You don't don't get upset with God, you know. There's a reason for everything. Everything has a reason, right? Right. And so, um, anyway, a lot of things happened. But the bottom line was I... I got angry at God and I, I yelled at God. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do not do that. Because I ended up having this incredible vision where I was suspended in, in this place that had like a white marble floor. There were men, not women, men in white robes all around me. And they had pillars between them and there were 
um, flames of light on top, and they were chanting in different languages. They would chant in what would sound like German and then Spanish and then Japanese and different languages. And finally, the man in front of me, directly in front of me, he said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And then he said, if you choose to live, you will have an extraordinary life, but you have to give your life to God. Well, that was real confusing because I was a born again Christian. You know? Right. So I said, you know, it's like, which God, right? <laughs> the, old, <laughs> the old superstitions and fear, like, yeah. There's more than one, or there's many. <laughs> and so um, what happened at that point was I I talked about, well, I'd given my life to Christ, blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, 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 you don't get that. That is a gift to you. If you'll give your life and do what God asks you, you will have an extraordinary life. And so I said, yes. I said, yeah. So when you say it's been remarkable that I've been committed all these years, my commitment is to a higher power or the divine or God. Um, my awareness of God has evolved to something that it's, I, I can't even put it into words. You know, it's not the old yeah. traditional. Yeah. It's just not there. But almost immediately I started seeing auras, knowing okay. things I shouldn't know, seeing people who didn't exist seeing angels. And so when I started talking to my family about that, then they thought I had drank the Kool-Aid, of course. Yeah. And they were afraid of me. And I went through two exorcisms, which were really hard. That's, nice. the, that's a whole different level of being abused. Wow. Holy. And two of them. That is yeah. incredible. When people tie you up and scream at you and cast you out and tell you an abomination in front of God and beat you with plants and whips and pray over you and pour water over you and keep you in a chair for 12 hours until the demon can come out of you. It's hell. And it's like I was so afraid. I was so traumatized by the whole thing. And yet, I kept having this knowledge and seeing, and there was no one. There was no one who had any idea of what I was talking about. I talked to my minister, and he looked at me like I was a freak. You know, when somebody yeah. sits down to me, um, and that's how I really started, was the realization that at least I could listen to people and validate they weren't kooks, and maybe we could figure out what some of this stuff was. Yeah. Because I just, you know, prayed harder at the, in those days. So that's how it first started. And now that's all still there, but it's background. Yeah. Now it's, it's almost, um, it's, it's like I'm a, per, a regular person in many ways, but I can just almost shift my focus I think the best way to, I'm trying to put this into words, if you're sitting in the room and you're looking in the room and you see in the room, and then something catches your attention outside and you look through the window and you see another area, okay. it's like that. I can be laughing with my friends, eating popcorn, talking about a movie, and something will catch my attention, maybe 
um, outside and I'm aware and I can make a choice of whether I'm going to focus there or focus here or kind of maintain a focus yeah. between. And, you know, people, people think it's a great gift and it is when you can use it constructively, but it's a real distraction. And when you think about how life is right now with, with the television, the radio, all this, the traffic, everything happening. And now add another layer to that. Yeah. Um, I can see why so many psychics are kind of um, out there. They, it's, it's a little bit sometimes to juggle it all and put it into a calmer, more sequential place and, and, and be with it. And yeah. the, biggest, the biggest problem is understanding what it is and, and how to use it. And I think for myself, having a commitment and having a focus, like I want to help people and I want to be able to help those people who are really ready to do something different to empower their lives. And the the aspect of serving God, it's like, well, what? You want another slice of pizza or something? What I found about that has been so amazing. It's like we have this idea of what God is that somebody else has taught us. Mm-hmm. And a religion is kind of an idea where if you kind of walk down somebody's path, you might stumble onto what they experienced. But the experience of God is totally experiential. It's not what you do. It's this place of communion or connectedness where there's another aspect and you you know what you know, but you it's like when you try to define it, it's like taking that which is infinite and shoving it into a word. It's not going to fit. Right. And so it's been an amazing journey with serving God. It's like sometimes I'll stand up and it's like, oh, I've got to go to Easter Island. My conscious <laughs> mind is going, oh, cool, let's go. And, and then <laughs> another is, why? What's there? How do I pay for it? Who's going to go with me? What am I doing? I'm a kook, right? Let's go. And, <laughs> and then getting there and the experiences that are so astounding. And the people yeah. that have gone with me on these journeys, they know because they've witnessed and they've had the same experience. So, but if I sat and told them, I'd sound like a great writer, which I am, but <laughs> because I write about my life experiences, you know. Um, but there's there's something about just giving yourself the freedom to just flow with life and let it embrace you and be joyful in it. And in doing that, it's like the most extraordinary things happen, the serendipity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, kind of it sounds like something that anybody could do is it's just trying to find balance, right? You know, you talked about with the world today and all the distractions and, you know, everything that's taken us here and there. Finding balance is a good, sounds like a good place to just for anybody just to try and do on a regular basis. And I know that myself, it's it's hard to kind of balance um, psychic work and then my 
normal life, quote unquote, I guess, how to describe it. But, um, you know, we're going to take a station break, but we're going to continue on. I'm loving this conversation. It's very fascinating. And Teresa, you've got some really cool stuff. Uh, perspective on things so uh, we're here on let's talk radio on the paranormal pete show i'm your host pete orbea we're going to take a top of the hour news break and pay the station bills and we're here with uh, special guest Teresa carroll on the paranormal pete show we'll see you on the flip side Standoff. I'm Lisa LaSera, Fox News. Police in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, using flashbags and other means to try to disperse a crowd of protesters that have gathered outside the police station over the police shooting death of Dante Wright. Big crowd of people. You got the flags out there. A lot of black hoods, backpacks, the gas masks, the goggles, even some leaf growers in the crowd. Just beyond them, you have the police force. You got the National Guard combined with a number of different police agencies. You've got some of the spotters up on the rooftop. There were a number of big developments. The resignation of the police chief, Tim Gannon. The resignation of Kim Potter, the uh, woman who was the police officer in the center of all of this. I asked some of the people in the crowd what they think of that. They don't care. What I get from the people here in the crowd is simply that they are angry and they're out here to make their voices heard. Fox's Mike Tobin in Brooklyn Center. Criminal charges may be filed against Kim Potter as soon as tomorrow. The Fox TV station in Minneapolis is reporting the Washington County State's Attorney's Office is reviewing the case. Protests also taking place in Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and New York City. The White House says all all remaining U.S. troops in Afghanistan will be out of the country by September 11th. Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the president will explain his decision in a speech Wednesday. There are currently about 2,500 American troops in Afghanistan. A senior administration official says the withdrawal will begin before May 1st. That was the deadline set by the Trump administration for all U.S. troops to leave the country. Fox's Jared Halpern at the White House. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has invited President Biden to speak before a joint session of Congress April 28th. And the White House says the president has accepted the date chosen because it's just before the president's 100th day in office. And it's not clear just how the speech will be conducted due to the pandemic. Masks have been required at the Capitol for months. America is listening to Fox News. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview. All on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with the free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Fox. Indeed.com slash Fox. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says the U.S. is sending more troops to Germany. Speaking in Berlin, Austin said the U.S. will send around 500 additional troops to Germany, on top of roughly 35,000 already there. It will greatly improve our ability to surge forces 
at a moment's notice to defend our allies. He says the U.S. is no longer planning to pull troops out of Germany, apparently reversing an order from President Trump, who accused Germany of being a weak partner on defense. Fox's Simon Owen, Airbnb going a step further to prevent gatherings in its rentals. Gather a group of people together at an Airbnb this summer and you'll have neighbors using technology to report you to the company. It's expanding its neighborhood support line. You could even have your noise level detected by minute sensors provided at a discount to hosts. It's part of Airbnb's summer of responsible travel, especially focused on the 4th of July weekend. The home rental company has stepped up support to hosts and will ban one night or last minute stays, especially for guests who don't already have a positive review. It already has a 16-person limit on gatherings. Ginny Coselda, Fox News. About 38 million Americans say they are worse off now than before the pandemic hit the U.S. That's according to a new poll from Impact Genome and the Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. Overall, 55% of Americans say their financial circumstances are about the same now as a year ago, with about 30% saying their finances have improved, but 15% say they are worse off. The problem is worse at lower income levels, with 29% of those who live below the federal problem line saying their personal finances worsened in the past year with about that many also saying they struggled to pay bills in the past three months i'm lee silicera and this is fox news hey everybody welcome back to the paranormal beat show i'm your host peter abaya we're on let's talk radio wltkdb.com and it, hopefully you're watching the Facebook stream as well on Facebook. If you type in Let's Talk Radio in the search panel, you can find the page. And you can see the interviews and, and catch the show there and comment. So if anybody has Ooh. any comments, put them on there. Get in the station chat, WLTKDB.com or on Facebook. And um, I think we'll do our best to have an answer. And I'm pretty sure Teresa will have an answer for any question. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, well, I've just been fascinated with the your t- you know your experience that you've gone through, and the things that you do experience, and you s- somehow know where to seek experiences. Um, now, you touched on being able to see auras kind of early on, um, and I know that's something that interests a lot of uh, people, uh, including myself. Um, even with the work I do, I, I, um, have a hard time seeing colors, but I feel like I can see an aura, but tell us a little bit about, you know, how you see it and maybe one tip on how somebody could, um, start. Okay. Well, I think I'll start with the, um, the last first and the first last in that one of the best ways is to kind of put somebody up against a light colored background, you know, like, you know, don't have them against color or pattern because that makes it a little more difficult when you're first starting out. And then when you're looking at them, it's almost like as you run your eye to where they are, stop your line of sight halfway there and keep your focus there. So instead of looking right at your, you know, like your face, I'm looking at a medium a midpoint between you and me where we're sitting. I just keep your 
your uh, gaze there and just keep telling yourself to soften the gaze. Little by little, the halo effect will happen where you'll just see a kind of a like energy around the person. And then what you do with colors is you guess. Now, it sounds kind of funny. It's like, oh, it's just a guess. But (laughs) what you'll find is if you say, um, well, gee, I think Pete's got a lot of orange and yellow in his aura tonight. Um, There's almost like a ring of truth. If it's right, it kind of rings. And little by little, if you just kind of say what you feel, there'll be a validation. But it's interesting when you say there's a little bit of orange or yellow, anyone else that's looking at you would be able to pick out on a color palette the same tone of that color. In other words, we know that there's sunny yellow and there's um, meringue yellow and there's mustard yellow. If we had like maybe 15 to to choose from and we were doing an aura class and I said, you know, Pete's aura has got a lot of yellow in it. Um, Here's the numbers. Look at it and write down. Everyone would have the same yellow tone, not and it, and there would be no way to have shared that unless there's a group intelligence, or they see it. Interesting. And then if you said there's a green, but there wasn't a green, it would be all over the map, or where they'd just be guessing, or they would say, "I, I I'm not I sure." I don't see it. Yeah. yeah. So it's amazing that once you kind of get used to telling your brain what you see, it starts projecting it out. Um, the way the human eye works, and you can go to medical research and see this, is energy comes in, hits the retina, goes through the brain, and then we project out what we see. So when you look at a table, and it's a wood table, you may see more of an oak table and I may see more of a mahogany because our brain is projecting out what we expect to see. And so um, the same thing happens with intuitive sight. It comes in through the third eye, which hits the pineal gland. Now, you can go on the internet and see this. It's documented but there are more cones and rods in the pineal gland than in both of the two eyes. And they're what absorb this energy that hits the eye. Right. Well, we all know from Wi-Fi signals and cell signals that when energy comes, if there's a wall or there's a barrier, it just passes right through it. So right. when we see something, it comes through the eye, but it also goes through the bone. And into that pineal gland, and that pineal gland sees things as well. There was a wonderful man I worked with for a short period of time. His name was Lloyd Thompson, okay. and he wrote a book on mind sight. He was a scientist, and he taught blind people to see using their other four senses. Wow. It was amazing. They could drive cars, they could toss balls, they could play golf, and And what he did was he did something that was an expansion of an experimentation that Isaac Asimov was working on. And there's some documentaries. I'm still trying to get a hold of them. So if you find them, send them my way. Okay. Isaac Asimov proved scientifically that sound, um, that a, a sound has a certain color 
a certain taste, a certain smell. He proved this scientifically. I watched a video on that back in the 1980s, and it was astounding. And what Lloyd Hopkins did was he took that information and he taught people to see using their other senses. And he would hand you something and put it up, tell you to put it up to your ear and tell him what color it was or what words were written on it. And you'd Here. like, yeah, <laughs> but the vibration is there. The same vibration that your eyes would pick up enters all of your senses. And wow. When I've, I learned a practice of how to make anyone psychic within a week. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Want to learn it? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. It works. But there is a cautionary note that I'll get at the end of it. Okay. And that is basically you have five senses. Okay. And psychic development comes out of what they call the sixth or the seventh sense. It's when all of these are activated, there's something that happens in between that synergizes it. Okay. So you take a piece of music, and preferably one that you like, but you don't like that much. Okay. And you play it. It doesn't matter when, but you play it every day. Now, the first day, you run one sense through it. Say you do the sense of taste. So you ask, is it salty? Is it sweet? Is it tart? Is it crunchy? And you just really spend the whole length of that music. And normally it's about three minutes long. Right. And just really tasting it, telling yourself you can taste it and telling yourself what you taste. Okay. Next day, you know, you see it. Does it look like squirrels jumping, lizards leaping? You know, what, what does it look like? Is it lights going off? Is it colorful? Is it na nature? Is it psychedelic? What is it? And you do the sight thing on it. You may actually put music notes in it, write letters in it, but you see that music. Mm -hmm. See it as much as you could. So you have five days, one to each sense. You see that? Okay. Mm -hmm. You can do it at different times of the day, but you want to do it during that day, and you want to do it for the full length of the song. Okay. On the sixth day, you rotate. You do one sense, then the next, the next, and rotate between the five senses. Okay. And then on the sixth day, I mean the seventh day, you sit and you bring all of your senses inside of yourself. And there's okay. something where if you've ever gone into your higher self where you feel yourself lifting up and into that place of awareness and you just seem to feel expanded, that will happen. And in my, um, I, I teach this to a lot of people and people get to various stages of it. The biggest thing that's the problem is our belief system. Right. <laughs> because when you're the one man that got the farthest that I know of that's ever reported back to me on this, it was, I think about the fourth day into it, he called me up and cussed me up and down and everything. Oh my God. <laughs> he picked his favorite piece of music and 
in the fourth day, he was where the, the man that had written the music had stolen it from someone else. He plagiarized it. And he was also aware that this man was a pedophile. Oh, no. And it just it just was something he, he was too redneck. He couldn't deal with this. It was like, so the distance you can go with this is your a willingness to accept the information. It comes without judgment. Because if you, if you begin to discover things about the people you love or about your world that you really don't want to know or cope with, then there's something that happens that will make you stop of this is, and I see it every time people get to a certain level and they'll say, this is crazy. I'm, I'm making this up. This is bunk. I'm out of this. Yeah. And it's only because they've come to their own level of personal tolerance of right. how compassionate are we? How much are we willing to see the axe murderer as another human being that's deeply wounded and be willing to recognize that their behavior is wrong, but they're a nice guy. No <laughs> <laughs> right. nice guy. Bad news. <laughs> so, um, and then beginning to see behaviors in the people that we love and realizing that their intentions are not what we think, they are not the people we want them to be. It's, it's really, um, it really pushes you to know who you really are, what you value, and where you're stuck in just being allowing and compassionate with another human being. It's it's incredible. Um, so, I'm I would I think I'm going to try the the piece of music, and I think it's really cool that um, music is kind of like the the starter. The it's the um, it's the flint, you know, to kind of get things get things going. Um, I've talked about it on the show before. Um, like with uh, Karen Fraser about music and how that can open you up, at least in my experience. And um, I've been playing music since I was six years old, I think. And so I kind of use music anyways and sound um, to help me, you know, rise up and, and get in the zone or whatever you want to call it. So that's that's really interesting. Um, so choose a, choose a piece of music that you like, but you don't like too much, <laughs> right? Well, the reason I say that is because, um, like my friend, he 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 was so angry because that was his favorite music, and now he sees those images. I mean, he sees graphic images of things that yeah. he doesn't want to see or be aware of, and it it may be that he had those kind of experiences as a young boy that he's just shut out and doesn't want to deal with. Um, And so the, the emotional reaction was rage of, he was just, he, he really felt like he could have killed this guy. It's like, wow. Because he was always, uh, he was always a strong man, Mm -hmm. but he was never, I never ever saw him get so intense about something. Um, and wow. so I, now I tell people, don't use your favorite music. <laughs> it's kind of like that old saying, you know, don't meet your heroes because they're often jerks, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, 
But what you were saying about music is so essential. Music feeds the soul. Yes. It in shamanism, your drum beat is your literally your heartbeat. Your very first ceremony that you do in shamanic circles is when you get your drum, you sit, you take your pulse, and then you beat your pulse on the drum. And that is that is your heartbeat, and that is your healing. And when you need to meditate or pray, you beat your heartbeat on the drum. And one of the very first ceremonies is to place somebody in the center of the circle and everyone plays their heartbeat to them. It's incredibly cathartic. It's incredibly transcending. You feel this almost like blissful place. So cool. the beat of music wakens the heart and gives this kind of opening of the heart, but music itself feeds the soul. And so we we kind of neglect our souls. Right. Sometimes I step with a person and it's like, when was the last time you fed your soul? And they're like, oh, what? What's <laughs> <laughs> but we all know that endorphins that come from laughter and joy and celebration um, heal us and they make us feel more alive. They make us feel more balanced. Yeah. And if we're not getting that endorphin rush of we're not feeling that sense of joy or connectedness then our soul begins to kind of wither everything becomes glum we begin to feel disillusioned disappointed and so music is a great caveat to open the soul to make the soul dance to remember to relax to play so yeah music 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 yeah, it's, uh, I mean, everybody has an emotional response to music, you know. Uh, I I met one person before, and they said they don't like music. And I thought that was just, like, what planet are you from? <laughs> it's like, it seems to touch every every soul. It does touch your soul. You have some sort of, you know, emotional take on you know a song can make you feel a certain way you know sad happy reminiscent um you know excited energetic you know it hits you in so many different ways but so i think it's cool that with you know your that kind of test with music and and exercise to try and go through I, i just think it's really cool because i'm always on a search for how music can help us um it's just Music's always been a passion of mine and uh, listening to music, playing music. um, You know, it's the best drug out there uh, in my opinion, Uh, especially, you know, um, I play in a band and there's nothing better than getting done with practice or after a gig when you've, you've gone up and played, you've connected with the other members of the band, you know, on an energetic level and there's just nothing better and I I feel like uh, um, after playing music I'm I'm my I'm jazzed up the woo woo is ready to go. But <laughs> yeah. well, if we can go back to auras, I just wanted to make a couple more comments there. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, you know, once you start playing with auras, the next level is 
um, finding symbols in auras. Now, like, okay. if you know somebody who does Reiki, uh, ask them where they had the Reiki sign put in their aura and ask them if you can feel it. I know Papa feel, right? <laughs> but you, you get your hands in there and you feel it and you begin to kind of see it. And then somebody else comes along and you see something real similar in the same location and you go, um, are you into Reiki? Yeah, I'm not a Reiki master. And it's like, I can see the symbol. And every time you validate it, you get stronger until somebody walks in and it's, it's almost like they've got a, a stethoscope around their neck and a <laughs> you know doctor tag on and you know yeah. um the same with illness um, um in my career i'm allowed to um, make comments on spiritual level or for fun and entertainment but i cannot diagnose or do any you sure. know that kind of thing but i have found that once I meet somebody who, say, has Parkinson's, I see the same pattern in, in somebody else who has. Once I meet somebody who has AIDS virus or cancer or um, mental health issues, it, it's just like little messages, little symbols in the aura. And so after a while, somebody walks in and you know right away they're, they're grieving because you see that the color has a certain hue to it. You see that um, they're not getting enough trace minerals. You get the feeling there's something going on with the heart. And it's just like all these little messages. And so you can literally read them like you would a book. Or you okay. can just, your intuition says this person is not feeling well and they need a little bit of um, moral support. And often, once you start talking to them, they'll validate it. But yeah. it's really, the aura is easier to read than we believe. It's that we've been kind of taught not to read it. So once we start, and I've never found a book that says, you know, if you, it, you know, palm reading. I do palm reading, too. <laughs> that if there's a line here or there's a line here, that means this or that. Right. Um, it's, it's always the art of combination, not one thing. But I haven't seen a book on aura reading that if this shows up here, that shows up there. But over time, I've begun to see some correlations that yeah. if, if I venture, I get affirmations from people of, oh, how did you know? I'm psychic, of course. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. What's the lottery ticket numbers? Yeah, I get that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what color are his eyes? What's his middle name? It's like, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> right, right. Well, let me ask this um, for everybody listening out there. When you say you, when you, say you see symbols, um, you know, things that you recognize, same patterns, things like, no, is it, I'm just going to ask, does it, is it like it look like an icon? Is it like that kind of symbol, or is it just, um, you know, the color, or the vibration of it? You know, are those the symbols you're talking about, or is it like something you actually like an icon over somebody? Um, all of the above and more. Sometimes okay. it's a feeling. Sometimes somebody will sit down, and my jaw will ache really, really bad. And maybe I'll see a wisp of spoke 
And other times I'll just see like somebody stamped something on, you know, like I'm looking on a computer screen and it's right there. And other times I'll just get a little visual of somebody shouldering a gun or somebody cleaning their, their golf clubs or something. And, (laughs) and after a while I'll see it just in this area. And so the location in aura Mm -hmm. speaks to me or the color speaks to me. And, And it's not like it says, hey, Teresa, this is what's going on. But, you know, it's like it's consistently leading me to the same conclusion. And right. so after a while, I begin to trust it. Um, and sometimes it's hit and miss. But what I've learned is that certain um, certain colors. Now, black is not a negative thing. Right. Um, black often is black and white, a person wanting a lot of clarity or succinctness. And people that have a lot of black in their aura often like to wear their clothes black and white. And they like that succinct, determined, secure, final answer. Let's not confuse this. Let's get to the point kind of thing. And so, um, but there are kind of a muddiness and that's a lack of energy. So when there's not clarity, um, clarity normally is emotional upliftment, that happiness, that enjoyment. Muddled is often more of the depression, the sense of disillusionment, despair, um, that kind of thing. So there's tones. um, There's just little things that you see. Sometimes you see entity attachments where somebody's walking around with somebody else it's like uh, <laughs> can i clear this for you <laughs> and sometimes you see loved ones with them and sometimes you see yeah. i see it's amazing how many people they come in and sit down and there's their their white cat and they're going well he's dead yeah. What difference does that make? He's in the physical he sense. <laughs> He's going to stay with you. You know, so it, it's kind of a multitude of things. Yeah. And honestly, really honestly, Pete, I don't know if it's just the mind's way of communicating things or, you know, I know it's real, but how, how does it come through? Is it that my, I'm just picking up energy and my brain's trying to give me pantomimes of, hey, you know, so that I identify it and give it back to another person. Or is it that that's literally how, but I think each, each, each psychic I know, and, and you made a really important comment earlier. We're all psychic. We really are. And we all have the ability to learn to read auras or see into other dimensions. We all have that. Yeah. It's just it's just like you playing music. Um, some people have more of an aptitude to it, and some people get more joy out of it. Right. Um, but let's face it, we can all do a certain amount of music, and we can all do a certain amount of art, Yeah. and we can all do a certain amount of psychic things. But where is our preference, and where do we find ourselves having a little bit more of an aptitude? Yep. And all those things you just listed, I think kind of the underlying point there is I mentioned when I, there's no better feeling than being done, you know, getting done playing, you know, a a gig or uh, a practice because it, 
I was present. I was there in that moment. And when you're painting, you're there, you're present, right? That seems to be the underlying connection there is that whatever it is that you can do that you're there, you're present, all the other distractions are muted at that point. You know, I mean, would you agree that that's kind of the, the underlying connection? I would agree. I I also agree that when we are uh, present, there's this, there's this incredible sense of joyfulness because instead of trying to do something, we just are. um, It's like, we're not doing, we're not thinking, we're just being at that state of being in many ways it's a state of kind of rapture and a state of total allowance and acceptance it's just like we're there we're writing our emotions we're aware of the things that there's just this delight this experience yeah what feeds your soul <laughs> I like that. you know and that's something like you've mentioned before we we always forget that um well that's all amazing stuff to think about um you know whatever you can do to to be present um is that's gonna get things started for you now i want to talk about i want to talk about your books while we have a little bit of time here <laughs> um Tell us a little bit about um, all spooked up, and kind of you know what 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 was behind that. What tell us about the book, and then what got you to do that? Yeah. Well, um, when I was thirteen, I decided I was going to be a professional writer. I love reading. I love reading, and that was always my big thrill, the idea of being a writer. I wanted to be a writer. I'm going to be a writer. <laughs> and, um, so I've written all my life. I've had a lot of things published and um, been quite successful at it, but I've never really considered myself a writer. And I was always telling the same swan song of one day I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And, um, I'm trying to think of her name. She's a one, a wonderful woman in the metaphysical field. She used to live in Olympia, and uh, she did auras and aura colors and all that kind of thing. And okay. for some reason, I'm not coming up with her name. But she said, well, you know about the paranormal. Just write a little book, and I've got this um, e- this." online bookstore and that was a whole new concept when she told me about it you know it was back in the late 90s you know uh-huh. and she, and she called it an ebook or something like that and she yeah. says if you'll write it i'll sell them on my site and i'll give you a little bit of money so just 
just write something, just dash it off and, and put it on there. So I sit down and I wrote this, this book. And um, 480 pages later. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it all just kind of fell out of your head, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's how it goes for me. Anyway, um, I had this book. And so I had asked uh, a lady who was um, a competent writer to read it for me. And she said, Teresa, this is three books. You've got a book here on your story about the ghost in your house. You've got all these <laughs> little um, examples of true life ghost stories. And then you have the actual how to one, two, three, four, five. And then you have this whole book on death and dying of what happens when you die, how to help people die, how to help them on the other side and how to communicate with them when they're on the other side. And she says, that's three books. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I could just picture it. It just four hundred and eighty pages later, boom! There we go. <laughs> so, anyway, she convinced me to pull out all spooked up, and all spooked up was the story of in two thousand and six. I purchased a home in Edgewood, Washington, and when we moved in, I had a ghost. Okay. Because I teach paranormal classes, you know, how to ghost hunt or how to examine um, everything. Yeah. Um, I thought, hey, this is perfect. I can bring my students in. They can actually meet a ghost. They can have the sensation of touching it, looking at it, interacting with it. And so that was the story of, of having Students come to my house, a little bit of the teaching of my experience of living with ghosts as a psychic, what I was feeling, what it felt like, what was going on, mm -hmm. and then the class coming, and then a part uh, was the, the ghost team that came in and set up the equipment and kind of looked at it and documented it, and mm -hmm. then I let my class clear the ghost, and it was gone after that. So it was the start to finish of having a ghost, learning about it, and then letting it go. And then I followed it up with six true life ghost stories in the Pacific Northwest. These are ghost stories of investigations I did. And they're like three or four pages long. Mm -hmm. So they're just a little snippet ones. Yeah. And so that was the first book all spooked up. That's and awesome. Then, <laughs> I continued to teach the classes, but I would, as I would teach the classes, I would um, refer to things out of the book and uh, the original 480 page book. <laughs> and so what ended up happening there was I put a manual together. And for my students, it was just, you know, manual and yeah. i handed it out to a few of my friends of what do you think of this and everybody was like eh, i don't know <laughs> and i met this um i was taking some writing courses i've always taken writing courses i love um the writing cabin in the woods i do that yeah. a lot i'll, I'll go okay. on a writer's yeah. writing yeah. and so i had taken this um i was working with this um writers conference and they said well if you have any of your writing please bring it in we'd like to look at it and i had a copy of my um 
how to spook yourself up. Then it was just a, a manual, a training manual for my students. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, set it in front of them and the gal called me back and said, this is amazing. This is so well written. It's so interesting. Oh my God. I think I have a publisher for you. So I sent it over to the publisher and the publisher said, we want to publish this. So it was in print just like that. Also, I had self-published, but when I published How to Spook Yourself Up, they also bought the contract on All Spooked Up, and so it's been republished. That's awesome. (laughs) So the little blue book on death and dying is still there. I just have to get it out. Yeah. But I've been busy writing so many other things that... Sure. And working. I've been working. (laughs) <laughs> that's it. You know, it's a good thing for the kind of work that you do. It's good to be working. Yeah. Uh, the world needs it. Um, and the world needs more of it. <laughs> um, so I kind of want to go ask you about, so the, you know, death and dying, you know, what happens to us? Um, what do you, what's your opinion on, you know, when you look at a lot of uh, the, you know, near death experience stories, um, people who work in hospice and the kind of things that they witness as someone transitions. Um, what do you think happens? And I'll, I'll give you kind of my, what kind of what I've scratched the surface on and, and some of the work that I do and, and, and then just kind of get your, what do you think? So I feel like that, um, others come to meet you and to help you transition. Um, And then you kind of, you can go to kind of a station where you, you kind of learn how to be your, your soul, you know, be in that realm uh, and exist. And then not everybody does it right away, but some people go to the proverbial light and I think of that as the soul's car wash and that it kind of, you know, gets rid of everything that, that uh, was holding you down in physical life. And then you can come back and then, you know, you, you know, I feel like everybody has spirit guides, guardian angels, however you want to look at it. But do you think that there's um, some sort of place that people kind of learn how to be, in that, you know, in the afterlife. Well, I've, I love what you say. And I love that spiritual car wash. That is great. (laughs) I love it. Um, Well, I would say we're probably very much on the same page, just a little different verbiage. Um, Yes. I feel like what I have experienced. And um, I think one of the most amazing things I did was, I, I started accompanying people in their death journey. Um, I, I call it spiritual hospice, where if somebody's resisting um, dying, I'll come in and I'll talk to them, especially people that are not of a religious faith, and talk to them about it. And then I do a shamanic practice where I literally take them to the other side, let them talk to their spirit guides, their family, and find out what they can do about what's holding them back. 
um, probably 30% of them die while we're in the process. And the other 70% come back and will die within probably 11 to 15 hours, almost every time. That Um, quick? I have not had anyone I've done the hospice with that hasn't died within a week. And it's normally people that, you know, the family calls and they've been dying for three years. When are they going to get out of the hospital pay and move on, you know? And so they'll bring me in and we'll work on it. But I go across with them and see what they see and have that experience. And I can validate it because I can come back and write it down, hand it to a family member, and the other person will say, this is what I experienced. And they're like, wow, Teresa had the same experience. Interesting. Met Uncle George, you know. So what I have seen is, yes, you're right. Even before a person dies, they start doing what we call transition. They start seeing loved ones and family members who kind of come and give them comfort, kind of help them understand what's going to happen, kind of set a a comfort zone so that they're not fearful. Mm -hmm. And then um, a lot depends on what we believe. And I think this is, you know, we hear the stories about the Muslim terrorists get a thousand virgins, right? Um, (laughs) They're all nuns, but who, who won't tell them that. <laughs> um, anyway, they, uh, what we expect to see is what we see the moment that we die. So if we okay. expect to see our grandparents or our family members or little baby Jesus or um, the Buddha, that's mm-hmm. what's there. And so the first transition It's almost like when we're in the physical body, we have this wonderful ability to manifest. We think something, and if we don't interrupt it, we actually evolve to um, seeing that realized in our life. When we go into the spiritual, that ability to manifest is not um, hindered by anything. So what we expect, we receive immediately. And then there comes a moment when the person says, okay, what's next? And in that kind of clarity, that's when they are shown their death, what happened when they died, who found them, their memorial service or funeral. Um, they will often do a visitation. And it's it's important to understand that um, space and time don't exist outside of the physical reality. Right. So, you know, they can be asleep for a thousand years and then come back to the very moment of death or to when their um, funeral was. It's mm-hmm. space and time are tools for evolving. And they, okay. they, a scientist can explain it. I'm not good at explaining it. But <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know, read, read scientific journals. Um, so then they go through, um, touching in with everybody they've ever loved. And uh, it's almost like they start this reenactment of their life. They they meet, they meet see their parents again and connect. Yeah. If they're on the other side, they are there and are present. And then to different family members and different situations up until their death. And if there's any... Um, if there's anything that as they see it, because now instead of just seeing it from their viewpoint and the ego is not vested in it anymore, so there's more of a, an awareness and not so much of 
I got to be right. As they see this, then if they want to make amends or if they want to shift something or they want to work through, it's like we probably, you and I are old enough, not that you're that old, but you and I are old enough that um, we've known people that will say, oh, I had a dream about my mother last night. She used to be such a pill. And I cried and I was just so happy. And it's like, I don't. I don't hate her anymore. I don't know what happened. That was the moment where that individual who was living had a visitation and they do kind of a workout, a work through. Once the life has been transitioned, they have evolved to another level of consciousness of perception. And then they're, they're free to make choices. And there's lots of different choices that we can do when we're on the other side. Right. But um, there's different things that may interrupt the process, but the majority of people do the normal, go through, have what they want, you know, the party with the family, the um, religious experience, whatever. And then after that, they, they go through the transition and come to a, a sense of realization and yeah. merging back into themselves as a, an eternal being. And then they're mm-hmm. free to make a new choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've just noticed that um, if I've tried to connect with somebody who's real recently passed um, and I try and connect with them, it's, it, I always almost always get like a busy signal and it just kind of tells me they're, you know, they're, they're living it up with their loved ones that they've missed all these years and, you know, then you just know to hey, give them, give them some time. And then when they're ready to connect, they'll, they'll connect when you try again, you know, next time you do that, say them or a spirit guide that will offer a, assistance to the person you're working with. Cause I often get the spirit guide who comes and says, yeah, they got to do this and that. And cool. You know, they're fine. They're cool. You know, right. No, yeah. No. Yeah. They were so far out of body, they didn't feel the trauma or, you know, and and sometimes in some ways, it's sometimes more reassuring to the family than talking to the actual person when they first transition, because they're still somewhat vested in the way they believe it should be versus expanding their consciousness. Right. They're still going off their belief system or they're still ego is, is still involved a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, now, so one question that's come up before on the show and my beautiful wife, Molly asks, asks this uh, uh, sometimes. Um, so when you're connecting with someone's uh, spirit guide, so let's say you're doing a reading for a client and you see their spirit guide and you can say hello hello kitty <laughs> <My new baby. laughs> cats are cats are attracted to zoom i swear yeah. um <laughs> but so does when you're communicating with a spirit guide or the you know the energy of a loved one who's passed for a client when do they when they're giving you information do you think that that's coming from them because they know it? Or do you think it's coming from, you know, a higher energy that they are pulling it from some higher energy? Or do you think it comes from that particular spirit guide? 
I really, you know, first of all, I really want to say I know nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> I'm like Schultze. I know nothing. I just have experiences I can draw on, yeah. and I make assessments, yeah. and I reassess if I get different information or I have a different experience. I honestly believe that it's kind of like all of it, that there are beings or people that are with us spiritually, um, interdimensionally, if you want to say. But I think we're going back to what I said about the body systems, is that, you know, here you've got your, your liver and you've got cardiovascular, they're just tucked in, they're real cozy. And so right. they're kind of aware and in the plane. And I feel like they're, they're in their own place of being, doing their own thing, having their own aliveness, but yet they're still committed to helping or assisting. And, and so they're aware, but they're not like, they're not like an audience kind of thing. They're more around us almost like our family members or like our our helpers if we need somebody like a doctor or a physician or a teacher just kind of reach out and then they come into us yeah um, and i feel like once they're connected with us because they're in that other level of consciousness they're already connected with we could call it the occasion records but the knowledge and so they will often um, they'll often bring all this incredible knowledge through themselves I channeled for years of you probably all I saw the Ramthas of the moment you know Seth speaks and yeah. I, I used to do that publicly and the information I still do channeling and the information that comes from them is extraordinary. It's right. astounding. And when I ask them, you know, where did you learn this? They just say, um, we are here, we are here for you, but the knowledge is available to all people at all times. You don't need us for this. So it's almost like they know how to resource that and draw right. it through. And yet they are, like you and I, individuals who have their own perceptions, but they can also res resource the divine or channel it through, so to speak. Yeah, and it's um, – I love how you put that. Um, last week I on the show, um, I was talking about the Akashic Records and – um, just trying to, you know, I was given some my ideas and tips for, you know, how to kind of get into a place where you can meet your own spirit guides and stuff. And the Akashic records, um, I, I feel are a challenge, um, to, to access, but, you know, oh, but I would, <laughs> may I offer a, a, a comment? Yeah. My guides taught me years ago that your personal Akashic records are written on the back of your eyelids, which is not literally, but figuratively, that if you close your eyes and you put a soft pressure on your eyes and you just allow yourself into a meditative state, you can see every life you've lived and all knowledge that you've ever gained. Ooh, I'm doing that. <laughs> so, um, another one that's intriguing is 
um, to see who you were and who your spirit guides are, um, have a mirror in front of you. Put a candle between you and the mirror and sit in the dark with just the candlelight and look at the eyes of yourself, your reflection, and your face will morph and you'll you'll know when it's you and you'll know when it's a guide looking through you. It get a little spooky, but you're safe. Okay. Not, nothing's going to come through the mirror. And so, so just to clarify for, for listeners out there, do you put the candle like where the flame is in front of your face? And so when you're looking at your eyes, you're kind of looking on either side of the flame or just, just a candle in the room. You put it between yourself and the mirror. So okay. that the, the illumination of the mirror illuminates your face and illuminates the mirror. Gotcha. Okay. So, some people like it lower, some people like it higher, yeah. but it will be between you and the mirror. Yeah. It's it's an extraordinary experience. It spooks a lot of people up. Um, the first time I did it, I was sitting in a, a little no-no nighty, and my chest got all hairy and <laughs> macho. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> ah. <laughs> it was all kind of freaky, you know? Yeah. But I could watch my eyes never changed, but the faces just kept morphing and morphing. And I would know this is, this was me. And I would remember when I would see it was me, Mm -hmm. that this was when I lived in the Himalayas and this was me. And this was when I was a nun in France and these things would just keep coming. And then I'd go, Oh, who's this? And, and I know it wasn't me. And then I'd normally get, this is my spirit guide, or this was, um, a spiritual person that assisted me and was still connected with me. It's, it's really, um, it's really a kind of a fun thing, but um, the biggest problem I have with teaching these things is so many people have old fashioned superstition and fear and they have an experience. They can't understand and they freak. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <People get> really, <laughs> I call it being spooked up, but they can get yeah. really freaked up. Yeah, um, because when you see somebody that you think looks evil, but I love what um, Levi says in the Aquarian Gospel. He says, "All is God, and all that cre- was created is good." And therefore, what we call evil are things that are mixed out of harmony. Like if you have two musical notes and they don't harmonize and they have that discord, we would say that's evil. Now, strength is a good thing, and sexual intimacy is a good thing. But if you put forceful intimacy, you have rape, and that's not a good thing. So evil is when we try to force things out of their normal flow. And so that, in truth, evil exists because we have forced it into being. But in reality, if we allow things to align, it it is not a part of the normal order of things right yeah Mm -hmm. and um so we're we're just about out of time here the time flew by once again (laughs) um so one thing i i tell people a lot um on ghost walk tours and and stuff like and like at the conference and even in readings is uh now it's not all like this but i tell people often ghosts were people once too and so just think of them as people and it makes things a little bit easier. Would you agree? <laughs> yes. Ghosts are people or animals, of course. Yes. And 
And if you can deal with people, you can deal with ghosts. Yes, very much so. (laughs) Anyway, I've thought about, I might be a future ghost. I might just do that. (laughs) Where where are you going to haunt? Where's the place you're going to haunt? Oh, I might go for your place. It sounds cozy there. Oh, yes. Well, it's it's quaint. (laughs) I do like Hawaii. I might, you know, I might haunt the shore somewhere. There you go. (laughs) That sounds awesome. Do something fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Teresa, I want to have you back on the show sometime because I think we got a lot more we can talk about. But this has just been a fascinating discussion. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and taking the time. It's always fun to talk to you. Um, and I think we've covered some really interesting stuff, thought provoking stuff. And, uh, I also want to mention that, uh, next Tuesday, um, here on let's talk radio, I've got guest June Nixon, paranormal investigator, and she's a lot of fun to talk to. She's been to a lot of places, had a lot of investigation experience. And so that'll be coming up next week. The week after I got my friend, Toby Johnson coming on. And I think we're going to get more than ghosts. I think we're going to be talking some Bigfoot and other, other beings as well. So that'll be coming up Toby Johnson. And then in May, I've got Ross Allison coming on the show. Um, And I've been so lucky to have such great guests. And again, Teresa, I want to thank you. Um, for such a fun conversation tonight. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Right and, on. And give my love to your family. You have such a lovely family. Oh, well, thank you. I will, I will definitely do that. Um, and I'd have a, I've, I've made a tradition on the show. I always end with the toast that the past is history and the future is a mystery. But today is a gift because it's the present. And don't forget to be in the present. Hug the ones you're with. Hug everyone else virtually right now. And <laughs> we'll see you next week on the Paranormal Pete Show. I'm your host, Peter Obea, WLTKDB.com. Thanks again to special guest Teresa Carroll tonight. We'll see you all next week. 